turning your Bibles with me to our key text today, um, which is John 16. And as I said, this is a sermon that I preached many years ago. I preached this when I was finishing Bible college. So I was probably 21 or 22 when I first preached this. How old are you, Lily? 19. 19. So just think about yourself in two years and writing a, writing this sermon and preaching it for the first time and then who you might be 29 years later. Oh, man. It's pretty crazy to think about, right? But life just, all you have to do to get old is just to keep on living. And I've done that, apparently. So that's good. <laughs> um, but as I was getting ready um, for the message this morning, I was up in my office grabbing the coffee. If I grab your coffee. I'm going to get my last caffeine infusion here before I get into the Word. I remembered to remind you all to wear a cloth mask. Um, I don't know if you saw, and a lot of people think, oh, this whole thing is fake. No one's getting coronavirus. Well, actually, 100,000 people in our country have died from coronavirus. So it's not fake. It really has happened. And people have just decided to live in denial that they're not going to get sick. Well, um, I was watching Israeli news here this morning, and a second wave has hit Israel. They had opened bars and restaurants and schools, and all of a sudden, a second wave has hit, and children are, are, getting, are testing positive. So this is not a fake disease. It really is happening. So I think a good habit to get in with your mask is to wash it once a week. And why not wash it on Sunday? I'm going to wash my mask and encourage the family to wash their masks on Sunday, just that you do it at least once a week. And I think a lot of you have probably, you've never washed your mask since you started wearing it probably. And so you need to have some kind of regular routine where you wash it often. Wash it more than that or have multiple masks. Have two or three that you rotate through so you're not breathing the same dirty air in case there would be virus on the fabric or material. You don't want to breathe that in. So that was something that I was thinking about. And then I, I saw another illustration on my desk this morning. I thought, man, this is perfect for what's been going on with the coronavirus and what's happening with the church. This, this little box says Christ on it. It's from a sermon I called The Duct Tape Life. And we're hidden away in Christ, in God. The Bible says that we're hidden away in Christ, in God. That we're kept safe in Christ. And so this virus has got us all pretty freaked out. And if you live near any kind of metro area at all, it can be pretty freaky. It can be pretty scary. I know for us here in Denver, we've got a curfew in effect from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. Um, I think many of you have seen the news. You've seen these massive protests where innocent bystanders or people trying to defend their business. In, in, in Texas yesterday, I saw a business owner was stoned to death. They threw rocks and he, and he had a sword. He was trying to defend his store with a sword and they, they stoned him to death. And uh, how, how horrible. Um, a horrifying way to die. And this is a young man. He's probably in his 20s. And so we're living in fearful times. And yet, we're commanded not to be afraid. We're living in troubled times. And yet we have the God who's bigger than any trouble we might face. Our country is in trouble. The world is in trouble. Uh, if we would say, oh, we're not in trouble. There's no problems. <laughs> um then you might be in denial. You're probably ignoring some major issues that are going on. I think a lot of us, when we watched that, that capsule of launch, the launch into space yesterday, a lot of people were watching with envy going, I wish I was on a space capsule leaving Earth right now. I wish I could be safe from all the dangers and craziness on this planet. Well, maybe, maybe that's part of the grand scheme. I don't know. But uh, yeah, 
I know. It, it feels like sometimes I feel like like that old uh, soul song says, I wish I could be like a bird and fly away. I wish I could just escape all my problems. But you know, that's not the real world we live in. This is the world we're given. This is the world we have to live in. And so if we have to live in this world, then we have to say, okay, God, how are you going to use me in this world? How can I be the extension of your hands and your feet, your kingdom into a dark place? And really, maybe my life is not so much about self-preservation. I don't, I don't have to survive, but I do have to make a difference. I do have to promote the kingdom of God. I do have to be a person of love. I do have to be of maximum service to others. I do have to reflect Christ to a darkened world. And it's not about survival. It's about glorifying God. We Sometimes we've got our, our priorities all messed up. And uh, honestly, I think there's an agenda. I think there's a political agenda going on. I think there's, a, there's some unseen um, forces going on that are causing these protests to happen. I saw that they were protesting in London now. They're protesting in London a man who was killed in Minneapolis. Well, most most Londoners couldn't even point to Minneapolis on a United States map. Give me a break. You don't even know this man. Why are you protesting in London? So there there is an agenda where thousands of people are gathering and we're not we don't totally know why this is happening. And this unrest um, I believe it's honestly spiritual. I think it's demonic. I think that's something the enemy's doing to try to divide people and bring hate and bitterness and rage and to break the Ten Commandments and do all the things that to, to bring the chaos that the enemy wants to do. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But that's not God. Jesus said, I did not come um, to condemn the world, but I came that you would have life and that you'd have it more abundantly, right? That God sent his son in the world not to condemn it, but that through him the world might be saved. And that's a big, big difference. So we Christians, we have the answer. And we have the answer for times of trouble. So this message is called The Truth About Trouble. Many of you know who've been watching, you know that I've been uh, in a vow of silence for nearly two weeks. And man, it was, uh, it was challenging. I'd never, I'd never felt led by the Lord to go into a vow of silence before, but I certainly felt a strong impression that that's what God wanted me to do, that I was supposed to just listen. And uh, I, of course, I got a reprieve on, on Sabbath and Shabbat on Saturdays. I would take a break from it because I don't think it's good for your mental health to just be silent that whole time. Uh, I actually got headaches in a weird place in my head uh, when I wasn't talking. And I think, I think it has something to do with how my brain processes words and auditory. So it's kind of interesting. Like, it's probably not good for my brain to just be fast, fasting from words the entire time. So uh, interesting how God led me into that. And what I've learned uh, during that fast, certainly I was, I was fasting for those who had no voice. I was fasting for those who were dying of COVID-19 in the ICU and they can't even see their family and friends. They have a, a ventilator tube down their throat and they can't even speak. I was fasting for those who are stuck in so much poverty and isolated out on the Indian reservations where they have COVID and they can't see their family and friends and they're dying and even a language barrier is keeping them from being able to ask for the help that they need. There are people during the safer at home orders, there are women and children who are being sexually and physically abused in their own homes and they have no voice. They don't feel like they can tell anyone. They've been threatened that if you say anything, you're gonna, I'm going to kill you. And that's a typical behavior of a sexual predator is to tell the victim that he will kill them if they, if they tell. And these people have no voice. There are people all over the world. We think about what's happening in Hong Kong right now. 
That the communist government is is quashing civil liberties, and the Christian church in Hong Kong is is thinking about going underground, just like the rest of the underground church in mainland China, and probably with good reason, because Christians are persecuted. They're taken to re-education camps. They're tortured. They're killed for their faith. These believers that I'm talking about, and even in Muslim countries and atheist uh, nations and places where uh, Christians are ridiculed and lied about and persecuted, they have no voice. We don't, we don't see them in the headlines. We don't see them in the news. No one interviews them. And yet God hears their voices. God hears their cries. And he's not going to ignore those cries forever. And that's part of maybe what's happening now is a judgment. And nobody likes that kind of talk, but it's the truth. I believe that we're under some sort of heavenly judgment. And God is separating the wheat from the chaff, the godly from the ungodly, the darkness, the darkness from the light. And I pray that uh, we will walk and navigate this road carefully. And so I've been very careful about what I would say. So careful that I didn't speak at all. But uh, I'm, I'm talking now. You might notice this is working. And so, but I don't want to just shoot from the hip. I don't want to just give you my opinion. I want to tell you what God's word says. Because there's, there's power in God's word. And I've been called as a, as a preacher of the gospel. So the message you're going to hear from me today is one from my first sermon ever preached 29 years ago when I spoke as a senior class president at North Central University in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, in 1991. And um, it's called The Truth About Trouble. And it actually ties in pretty well with our church's teaching theme for the year, Tag 2020, Take and Give 2020, which I'll read if you want to know what our theme uh, verse or our theme thought for the year has been grouped around is this. In unprecedented times when people are either all take, take, take or all give, 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 everyone today needs to learn the fine art of receiving and giving. All of God's creation is based on healthy forms of planting and harvest, sowing and reaping, early rains and latter rains. I want to stop there for a second. There's someone who's watching right now and you have said, maybe even saying it out loud as you watch, this stuff isn't real. This, I'm telling you right now, the Holy Spirit of God is, is pause this sermon to say this to you. You say it's not real. God says, try me. God says, try me. This stuff is real. It's realer than you think. And God knows what time it is. And He knows what you're going through. And He has sees your pain. He knows what's happening. He knows why you're angry. And He wants you to surrender your life to Him. He sees you. He sees you. And He loves you. Even though you feel like you've sinned so bad that there's no way He could love you. He does love you. And He does forgive you. Early rains and latter rains, this speaks of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is Pentecost Sunday. This is Pentecost Sunday. On the day of Pentecost, 120 people were gathered in the upper room. And they were praying, Oh God, send the power that Jesus promised. In a house. In a house. In an upper room. A private residence. 120. Must have been a big house. I've been to the room in Jerusalem where they think it happened. It's a big, like a banquet hall. It's near the tomb of David. And I can imagine that they were walking in this banquet hall with their 
hands upraised and they were sitting against the wall and on the floor, maybe in the furniture. It looks like it, they probably pushed the tables to the sides of the wall and they were probably just crying out to God and asking for God to, to show up and, oh Lord, send the promise that the, that, uh, the, the Holy Spirit that the Messiah said would come. And he did come. And he still comes. And he's coming today. And God wants to send you his Holy Spirit. He wants you to encounter Him. And it comes by faith. We receive Christ by faith. We receive the Holy Spirit by faith. All we do is we say, Come, Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Baptize me in your power. And when you pray prayers like that, He listens. He answers. So if we can learn to function in God's creation with a healthy biblical mindset of growth, frugality, faithfulness, stewardship, and doing the right work at the right times for the right reasons, then we can enjoy the most effective and fruitful life that God has planned for us for the rest of our lives. No matter how long or brief your life might be, after all, we're promised eternal life when we receive Christ. So we Christians, we can't lose. If we die, we, we win. If we live, we win. Either way, we win. So we will face times of trouble. And learning how to give our troubles to the Lord and leave them there is so vital to the Christian walk. So many Christians are bad at this. So many non-Christians are bad at this. They don't know how to take their troubles and put them at the feet of Jesus. And believe me, I've gone through seasons of that myself, of being bad at that. And yet there's other times where I've done it well. And I tell you, it's much better when you do it well, and it's much worse when you don't. So let's look at today's text, John 16, verse 20 through 33. Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he's warning them that he's about to go away. He says, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I'll ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you don't even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Now you do believe, Jesus replied. A time is coming, in fact has come, when you'll be scattered each of you to your own home. You will leave me all alone, and yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, and this is the key verse to this message. I have told you these things, so that in me you 
will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Whew, isn't that good? I mean, I could, I could end the sermon right there, and yet, but the, it, I think there's more to say about that. Because so many of us, we've been trying to, to grasp on the peace by our own means. If I could just buy a little bit of peace, if I get that, that cabin up in the mountains, if I could just run away, if I could hop on a rocket ship and just fly away. Now, peace doesn't come that way. And my mother used to read me a book uh, a couple books, actually. I've been I've been relaunching this idea of a, of a book called The Bible and Pictures uh, for Little Eyes from Moody Press, and I'm I'm doing daily readings of that. But then um, she has a book that dates back to I think the 1600s, and it, I have it here in my house. It's one of my more valuable possessions. It's a very valuable ancient book, and it's called Pilgrim's Progress, written by a, a pastor in England named John Bunyan. And it's filled with these beautiful uh, illustrations, lithographs. Um, you can just you just look at some of these these illustrations are unbelievable, and it's a family treasure. It's it's uh, it's a piece of theology that I learned about Christ and about Christianity. As she would read me just a, a few pages from Pilgrim's Progress every night or the Bible and pictures for, with, for little eyes. This man who wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress, his name is John Bunyan. And he's one of the early Puritan fathers who was uh, alive during the English Civil War. And he was put in prison for his faith. And um, he's written many sermons. Pilgrim's Progress after the Bible is one of the most long lasting, best-selling, highly published books in the English language since the 1600s. Bunyan became, he came from the village of Esto near Bedford, and he had some schooling at the age of 16 at the Parliamentary Army during the first age of the English Civil War. And he was a nonconformist, part of a nonconformist group, um, sort of an underground Christian group in England where it was illegal to believe the things that he was believing because he, was, he wasn't uh, um, towing the party line of what they thought believers should be doing. And of course the Puritans were on the outs with the Church of England and with the Catholic Church. And these were evangelicals of their day. They, they believed the Bible. And that you didn't get saved because some priest told you you were saved. You got saved because you had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And you read the Bible for yourself and God will speak to you through the Bible. You don't have to have another man to go to God. We already have the God-man. We have Jesus to go through. We don't have to go through another person. We don't, have, we don't need some other complicated hierarchy. So he... he takes Pilgrim's Progress, and it's a metaphor for what the Christian life is like. Um, Pilgrim starts out in this city of destruction, and he sees the celestial city way off in the distance, and there's a, a long and winding road to get from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And he meets all kinds of characters along the way that are allegories for the Christian life. He has the giant of despair, and there's fear, and there's doubtful, and all these characters. But he comes face to face with the devil in one encounter. And I want to read uh, this, and it's in very old archaic English, but I love it anyway. It's well spoken. It, it reads a little bit like Shakespeare. So if you're into that, um, I think you'll enjoy it. So, uh, here we go on page 82. If you have your copy of Pilgrim's Progress, you can join me on page 82. 
Then Apollyon broke out into a grievous rage, saying, I am an enemy to this prince. I have his person, his laws, and his people. I am come out on purpose to withstand thee. Christian speaks, Apollyon, beware what you do, for I am in the king's highway, the way of holiness. Therefore, take heed to yourself. Then Apollyon straddled quite over the whole breadth of the way, and he said, I am void of fear in this matter. Prepare thyself to die. For I swear by my infernal den that thou shalt go no further. Here will I spill thy blood. And with that, he threw a flaming dart at his breast, but Christian had a shield in his hand with which he caught it and so prevented the danger of that. Then did Christian draw, for he saw it was time to bestir him, and Apollyon was fast made at him, throwing darts as thick as hail, by the which, notwithstanding all that Christian could do to avoid it, Apollyon wounded him in his head, in his hand, and his foot. This made Christian give a little back, and Apollyon therefore followed his work amain, and Christian again took courage and resisted as manfully as he could. This sore combat lasted for about half a day, even till Christian was almost quite spent. For you must know that Christian, by reason of his wounds, must needs grow weaker and weaker. Then Apollyon, espying his opportunity, began to gather up close to Christian, and wrestling with him, gave him a dreadful fall. And with that, Christian's sword flew out of his hand, and then said Apollyon, I am sure of thee now. And with that, he almost pressed him to death, and so that Christian began to despair of life. But, as God would have it, while Apollyon was fetching his last blow, thereby to make a full end of this good man, Christian nimbly reached out his hand for his sword, and he caught it, saying, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. And with that, he gave him a deadly thrust, which made him give back as one that had received a mortal wound. Christian perceived that and made at him again, saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And with that, Apollyon spread forth his dragon's wings and sped him away, that Christian saw him no more. Ooh, I get chills every time I read that story, every time I see it. Here's the beautiful illustration that's on that page of Christian fighting Apollyon. I feel like that's kind of what's happening in the spiritual realm right now, worldwide with God's church, with believers everywhere, uh, with what we're going through with this coronavirus, with what's been happening in the church. We've been told in America that it's illegal for us to gather for worship. I thought we had a constitution. I thought we had a first amendment. I thought we had a second, third, fourth, and fifth amendment. I, uh, <laughs> wow. And yet I understand I don't want to make more hay out of this than I should. But the truth is this isn't, this isn't legal. And it's certainly not godly. And for us as Christians to keep gathering and hoveling in corners and not meeting in person actually disobeys scripture. We can't sustain this too much longer. And so many churches have decided to embrace civil disobedience, to meet. And they are meeting right now, today. Over 1,500 pastors in California decided to open their churches, whether it was legal or not. And I don't blame them for that. And uh, I think that each church and each leader needs to follow their own convictions about this very thing. I would open our church if we had our church building. But the, ch the schools are closed. The kids aren't in school. The schools are locked down. Most venues are locked down. You couldn't meet in a movie theater. You can't go to a sporting event. You can't. There's a lot of public places that you're just not allowed to meet in yet. 
And so the spirit of, of, of the church is that we gather in his name. So if you're just dying for fellowship, come to the prayer meeting around the fire tonight. And uh, it's a private residence and I'll take the liability. My, my wife and I have discussed it and we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to descend. Let me continue with this message. So this book is amazing. It, it demonstrates, it shows what a Christian's battle with the enemy is like. The enemy's trying to, to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to throw his fiery darts at us. And we have to, we might get, stumble a little bit and go, whoa, 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 hey. And then, but then we take courage knowing that we belong to God, that we're full of the Holy Spirit. We have the truth. And God loves us and we can't lose. So the enemy has to flee. Resist the enemy. Resist the devil and he will flee. That's what the Bible says. And so he can't stand against the almighty God. And we might be in a battle. Yes, battles will happen. They are happening. But God does not want us to cower in fear. He wants us to be overcomers. Amen, somebody? Give me a thumbs up if you believe that. All right. Very good. So we're going to talk about dealing with trouble. You know, Christians throughout the ages have dealt with trouble. And I want to encourage you today, you can cast your cares on the Lord because He cares about you. Jesus doesn't say if trouble will come. He says when. When trouble comes. Point number one, trouble is coming whether we like it or not. <laughs> and we're seeing it unfold on our TV screens right now. We're seeing it unfold, unfold over social media. Trouble is coming, whether we like it or not. Matthew 13, 21 says, But since they have no root, it's Jesus telling the parable of the sower and the seeds that fall on shallow soil, shallow Christians, they have no root. They only last for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. They don't, they don't, they don't want to follow God. It's hard, too hard. You know, I don't want to be mocked. I don't want to be made fun of. That looks kind of. That looks kind of difficult. I don't want to love people. I'd much rather hate people. I'd much rather just steal a couple TVs at Target and blow a place up and do my own thing. That's selfishness. That's a tantrum. It's letting your anger get the best of you. Matthew twenty four nine. Jesus says, "Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted, and to be put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me." Boy, that doesn't sound like fun. And yet we've seen it happen with Christians, many cultures, many governments, many places that I've already mentioned here today. Mark 13, 9, he says, For in those days shall be affliction. Not might be, not could be. He says, For in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of creation, which God created unto this time, and neither shall be evermore. So days of trouble are coming like we've never seen and will never be seen again. Jesus isn't promising a bed of roses. He says the days ahead will be difficult, but we do have rest and strength in him. Jesus knew the worst of hardship of all on the cross. He is therefore qualified to give us comfort. He experienced the placement of the sins of the whole world upon himself. He experienced the wounds of his body of the crucifixion. He shed his blood for you and me. Who more is qualified to comfort us and to forgive us of our sins and to be our all in all in a time of trouble like this than Jesus Christ himself? No one except Jesus. John 16, 33. Jesus says it this way. These things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, 
In the world that, that you shall have trouble and tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This New International Version uses the same word, word trouble in, as tribulation when it's translated from Greek to English. And this Greek word for trouble or tribulation in this passage is the Greek word thalipsis. Thalipsis. You want to try saying that at home? Thalipsis. Thalipsis. And it's also translated in English as affliction, anguish, burden, persecution, tribulation, or trouble. All those sound like pretty negative words, right? Like, uh, can I just skip out on the thalipsis? Can I just not? No, unfortunately, we don't get a pass on the trouble. We're going to have trouble. And so this Greek word thalipsis we see translated as anguish in English in, in John 16, 21. It says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the thalipsis. She forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Which brings me to point number two. And this is a good one. Our hardship won't last forever. Our hardship won't last forever. There is an expiration date on our trouble. Thank God. It's not going to go on like this forever. There is a time for it to end. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be also. If it were not so, I would have told you. In another verse, John 16, 22, Jesus says, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away. Think about how fleeting life is. Think about how fleeting joy in life is. You know, we've always been trying to chase the next thing. We've been trying to chase happiness through uh, more likes on Facebook or trying to chase happiness or more through more money or more stuff or nicer things or a skinny body or whatever, what, how, whatever you've been using to try to pursue happiness. Even if you attain it, the, the joy of it is very fleeting. You might, you might attain it and then it just it doesn't even matter. It's like you have it, you hold it, and there it goes. The joy of having it is just another thing. You win the lotto and you tie the proceeds to your local church, of course, right? Let's say you win a, a $16 billion. Wow, it's amazing, right? Think of the first few months. Wow, I bought like five houses and I got these cars. And how many cars can you drive at once, by the way? That's a good question. Like how much stuff can you own? How many pairs of uh, really cool jeans can you have? How many clothes, how many sets of clothes can you wear at once? Right? <laughs> One, right? So to accumulate things is kind of foolish. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And so the, the joy is fleeting, even accomplishments. So many uh, of these, uh, I'm really, anybody miss football and like hoping that football actually starts in the fall? I really hope it does, but I, it doesn't look good. But even these people who've won championships, who've won Super Bowls, they come to him later and they say, boy, you still feel great? Was it amazing? Yeah, yeah, it was good. It, you know, the, it lasts maybe, the joy of that lasts maybe a week. And then you're on to the next thing. Well, I sure hope we can win next year. Well, I sure hope we can put this defense together. I sure but you're never satisfied. And that's the human condition. And so I think the greatest pleasure that we could have in this life, just imagine like what, you're, what you've been idealizing and thinking about, what you've really been hoping to attain. Well, even the joy of that is fleeting. Even if you attain that very thing that you think would make you so happy, 
in a matter of weeks or months, certainly not more than years, the joy of that would, you just get used to it. You would just be, oh, it's just another thing. Another thing I did, more stuff that I have, something I accomplished. And so Jesus doesn't want to give us that kind of joy. That kind of joy just comes and goes. God wants to give you a permanent joy. He wants to give you an unspeakable joy, a peace that surpasses human understanding. That kind of thing doesn't make sense to the human mind. It doesn't make sense to people who don't believe in God. I think the, 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 that joy that he wants to give us requires a renewing of our minds. We have to renew our minds. And so there's an expiration date in our trouble. The truth is we need to view trouble as something good. I know this is really hard to do. Like, seriously? The riots are good? Like, people burning out the auto zone is good? Well, it's not good in the moment. But you know what? Maybe what is good is that we're finally going to have a dialogue about some of these things. We're finally going to see some political change. We're finally going to come to the table and start having some real conversations and without name-calling one another. How about that? That might be good. Like we treat each other like citizens and with, with civility and care and kindness. The kind of care that you would want to be treated with, as Christ said in the Golden Rule. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Well, if I own the auto zone, I don't think I would try to burn out down somebody else's. Right? So, treat others the way you want to be treated. Point number three. Trouble is an opportunity for growth. Trouble is a way for us to grow. If God really thought that trouble was going to destroy us, he would have dealt with it a long time ago and we wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. So God allows trouble. James 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it joy when people are, are given the opportunity to grow. You know, I, I have, there's a pastor that I love in Australia. His name is Russell Evans. And Russell and Sam Evans have started this church in Melbourne called the Planet Shakers Church. And they have very thick Australian accents. And of course, they're trying to raise godly children, teenagers they have now. And when they have to correct their teenagers, they have a little house rule. They have a fa little family rule that they have with their children. Russell and Sam have their kids say, after they've been corrected, they say, they must say, Thank you for correcting me and making me a better person. <laughs> what if we all would do that? Thank you for correcting me and making me a better person. Like the next time someone says you did something wrong and you know they're kind of right, maybe they're wrong about nine out of ten things, but one part is, is right. Why don't you just, instead of arguing about the, that, the, all the ways in which they're wrong, how about you just say, wow, well, thank you for correcting me and making me a better person. That kind of ends the argument, right? That kind of diffuses the situation. It kind of brings the love and the peace of God to any circumstance or situation because I don't have to keep fighting. I can say, wow, you know what? Maybe I didn't think that through. Maybe I overreacted. Please forgive me. But when you say that, what else is there to say? Right? And so I have a little clip from Pastor Russell as he talks about when he received the Holy Spirit this Pentecost Sunday. I wonder if you would pray and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. And he has, he's had a dynamic ministry. If you just Google the Planet Shakers in Australia, it's a 
phenomenal move of God. I want you to see what, he's, what he talks about here uh, in this sermon. Check it out. But I remember standing at an altar, A-L-T-A-R, because altars are places to alter, A-L-T-E-R. And I stood there and I had my hands raised and I said, Jesus, I love you. And he says, Russell, I love you. I said, Jesus, I love you. He said, Russell, I love you. He said, I want to use you. And I'm like, but I can't communicate. You see, some people go, I feel used. If you're useful, you'll be used. If you're of no use, you won't be used. So take it as a compliment that people want to use you. And God wants to use you. Hmm. And I'm like there. He says, I want to use you. I said, but I can't communicate. Which wasn't true. I could. He says, yes, you can. I said, how? He said, here's my power. Acts 1.8 says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. That word power means ability, efficiency and might. Yes, I had to develop my skill of speaking and ministering, but there was something supernatural that happened that day. I came into agreement with the Word of God instead of the lie of the enemy. And I said, God, here I am. Use me to take your kingdom to this world. And there are people in this room right now and you've lived your life and yet there's times you've agreed, come into agreement with what God says and God has blessed you. There's other times you've agreed with what God says and it didn't happen the first time and you've gone into disappointment. It's time to turn it around and say, God, I'm going to honour what you said about my children. I'm going to honour what you said about my finance. I'm going to honour what you said about my health. I'm going to honour what your word says because what you say is bigger than what I face. What you say is bigger than what's been spoken about me because you are God and I honour you and I give weight to you. So I received from you that day. And from that day on, I've made a decision. I'm going to give weight to what God says. I love it. I love it. We need to give weight to what God says. You know, if we'll give weight to what God says, then none of the turmoil that's happening around us can really affect us. Because we could know, I know the promises of God. I know my God. And He, he has a plan in this. He loves me. He's for me. He's going to use this to get glory out of it. He's going to bring me through with a, through this test with a testimony. Amen, somebody. And so I think about how, how can we begin to look for the thread? What is God doing in all of this? And how can God use me to be an agent of change, to be an ambassador of your love, to let the peace and the power of the Holy Spirit so fill me that when people find me walking in the room or into their business or into any circumstance, they go, oh, they blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wow, this person's amazing. She's just like Jesus. I feel like God walked in the room when they walk in. And it only happens for those of us who hold on to God's promises and we take them at His word. It reminds me of this old song that they sang that the Jesus freaks, the hippies that became Christians back in the 60s and 70s used to sing this song. It was called the Little Flowers Song. It says, Little flowers never worry when the wind begins to blow and they never, never cry. 
when the rain begins to fall. Though it's wet and oh so cold, soon the sun will shine again, and they'll smile into the world for their beauty to behold. Well, I guess they've learned the secret. Only little flowers know. If it never, never rains, then we'll never, never grow. This brings me to a very personal story. And if you can just hang for a minute or two as I share it, I think it'll really bless you and help you. I have a brother that went to be with the Lord years ago. He was next oldest in line in birth order in February of 1988, the very year, the very semester, I met my wife Kim at North Central University. I was selected to be in a band called One Accord and kind of my music was taking off and I, I, I got my schooling paid for because of my, um, the, my involvement with this music group and, and a lot of great things were happening. And then I suddenly, in around February, midway into this semester, I get a call from home that my brother collapsed on a baseball field playing a dirt church softball game. And they, they said that uh, he had pneumonia and they did a, a chest scan and he had a tumor on his lung that was the size of a grapefruit. Of course, they, they removed it and he was able to get more air, um, but he was in real trouble. I mean, to, to cut out that much of your body is a lot to cut out. And uh, he, after the biopsy, they figured out he had leukemia and it was a form of blood cancer that traveled. It was a testicular cancer that traveled in the body. And I watched him over a matter of about six months go through chemotherapy, round after round of chemotherapy. They took him to the U of M hospital in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I remember going up to his room day after day, and he would get very nauseous, very sick. He could not keep food down. He was in tremendous pain. And watching the anguish and the trouble get worse each day was very difficult. And if you have someone you love who's suffering with a disease, it can be very, very painful and a very, very helpless feeling because you don't know what to do. There's nothing you can do except be there for them and get them what they need and then pray for them. Watching my brother suffer with cancer day after day and then coming home. When we were boys in Detroit, we used to have a a little tradition where we'd make model rockets and then on Saturdays we'd go to the local park and we'd shoot them off. And I've done it with my kids too. We'd build rockets. And When he went into chemotherapy, of course, he got a leave of absence from work. and So he, he was at home between treatments. And I remember him building these rockets. And this is a gorgeous rocket and I remember watching him build it and we shot it off. We went to the backyard near my dad's church. We had a ball field next to the church that I had to mow. It was a, I had a, like a, a F-100 Ford uh, tractor that I had to mow the, mow the ball field with. And we had this huge acreage that we set off our rockets. And so we'd, we'd set them off and then of course the, you'd hear a poof and the parachute comes down and then you could just, you'd race to see who could catch the rocket midair. And so we set off several rockets. We had a rocket with a little glass container with bugs in it. We had a little mosquito rocket. We had all these different rockets. But this one particular rocket, he spent a lot of time on. Like he, he was meticulous with all the detail and rivet marks. And like he just got really, he just geeked out over this one particular rocket. 
And so we put that rocket on the rocket pad and we're like, oh, this is the one. And, you know, it's going to go high. We're going to catch this. Who's going to catch this? We set it off and it's a, it's a clear blue sky on a Michigan afternoon. Just the rocket goes up in the air. There's no clouds. And it goes up and it disappears. There's no speck. There's no poof. There's no parachute. The rocket's just gone. And I was like, huh, that's weird. Oh well, you know, sometimes it happens. You lose a rocket, sometimes it happens. But uh, it's very odd to have it go up and not see it come down. We, we searched the ball field everywhere in case it came down, we didn't see it. And it was gone. And it was just a matter of a few more weeks that he went back to the U of M hospital for his last rounds of chemotherapy. And they said that he had, he had beaten the cancer, but they wanted to finish his regimen of treatments. And so he agreed. And they believe it was that last round of chemotherapy that ate away at his vital tissue and eventually his lungs collapsed and he drowned in his own lung fluid. And everyone responds in grief different ways. Many people were very, very sad and angry. We had some people, Christians even, who came and told us that we weren't praying the right prayers or that somehow God was punishing my brother for some sin that he had unconfessed. I tell you, this is not true. Uh, my brother knew the Lord. He loved the Lord. He confessed it. I listened to him confess his sins to the Lord. I knew that he was right with God. Suffering is sometimes just a part of life. We have to make a peace with that. I rejoiced on the day that he went home to be with the Lord because the, the suffering was over. The pain was over. The anguish was over. He was with the Lord. And I was going to see him again one day. And so I had a, a great peace that day, but I was still troubled in my, in my dreams and my sleep. I didn't sleep very well until about three weeks after he passed, I had a dream. I was back in Michigan in, in the parsonage of my dad's uh, parsonage near the church. And I don't know if I was, I used to be a sleepwalker as a kid. So I might have, I might have sleptwalked to the ball field out in the back, or I just had a very vivid dream either way. I dreamt that I walked in and it was in the middle of the night. I walked out to the field and my brother walked across the field to me in my dream. And we had about a 20 minute conversation talking about heaven. He says, hey, don't worry about me. I'm okay. I'm with the Lord. I don't suffer. And he was healthy. He was vital. He was strong. He had all of his hair back. He, he didn't, wasn't wearing a hospital robe. He was looking like his old self. And, you know, sparky and saucy and all those things, you know. And I had a great peace. And as, as I was waking from that dream, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me about my brother's life. And he said, your brother's life was just like that model rocket. I took my time making him exactly what I wanted him to be. I prepared him, I painted him, I molded him, and I made him into what I wanted him to be. And then I took him home. The dream gave me tremendous peace. And I still go back to the often I wrote a song about it years ago called Where the Rockets Go. I loved my brother. I didn't want to see him go through that pain anymore. But in heaven, there's no crying. There's no pain. I was so glad. If you could be glad for a person to die, I was glad. I was so relieved the suffering was over. 
said, thank you, Jesus, you took him home and that he was ready. The fourth point here today is that the Spirit of God is a real person. The Spirit of God is a real person. God moves amongst people and you don't have to hype him up. If God is moving, we'll all know it. You can't manufacture it or conjure him up. Everything else is divination and witchcraft. God loves you. He wants to help you in your time of trouble. Cast all of your cares upon him because he cares about you. Trust in him. He loves you so much. Jesus said, in me, you may have peace. If you're troubled over something or someone today, follow this prescription. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. This prescription has a guarantee. It's a guarantee of peace. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I like that old song that says, Give them all to Jesus. He says, Are you tired of chasing pretty rainbows? Are you tired of spinning round and round? Wrap up the shattered dreams of your life and at the feet of Jesus lay them down. Give them all, give them all. Give them all to Jesus. Shattered dreams, wounded hearts, and broken toys. Give them all, give them all. Give them all to Jesus and He will turn your sorrow into joy. The Bible is filled with promises about God's faithfulness to His children. I'm going to share two more and then I'm going to sing a song and then we'll be done. Psalm 37, verse 23 through 26. The Lord makes the firm steps of the one who delights in Him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with His hand. I was young and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. 2 Timothy 1.12 That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So put your trust in him today. If you have trouble, put them at the feet of the Lord. Even if things don't turn out the way you want them to, the Lord has a better plan. The Bible says all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Do you love the Lord this morning? Do you? Do you love Him? And put your trust in Him. Lay your burdens at His feet and He will care for you. I wrote a song in the same season of my life called the road less traveled. I want to sing it for you. Yeah. 
guarantee to fly And I have the truth behind my eyes And it won't be long Till I am gone Facing the pain of incidents From bad to worse they come Go with no regard to who they hurt. For this life is dead. It's shattered. This life is filled with sting of pain. My life is filled with hurt of love. My life is filled with sting. The ones you love may often hurt you most But I took a road less traveled by I chose the sweet by and by I have a guarantee to fly And I have the truth behind my eyes Yes, I have the truth behind my Let me pray for you today. If you need to receive Christ, it's so simple. God created us to be with Him one day. Our sins do separate us from God. The sins can't be paid for by doing good deeds. It's not about sitting in a church building or writing a big check or doing a lot of good deeds or helping out a homeless person. It's deeper than that. It's just receiving God's perfect gift of Jesus and His sacrifice for our sins. You can never earn it. It's a free gift. We just receive it. Paying the price for our sins, Jesus died and rose again. And, and so everyone, anyone who trusts in Christ can have eternal life. And that eternal life can begin the moment you say yes to Jesus. Are you ready to do that? Would you pray the prayer with me and receive Christ? Just bow your heads and close your eyes wherever you are right now. And let's pray that prayer together. Dear Lord Jesus. Dear Jesus. I've been in trouble. I've been in trouble. And yet I know that you can use it. And yet I know that you can use it. 
to grow me. To grow me. Into the person you want me to be. The person that you want me to be. I receive you, Jesus. I receive you, Jesus. In my heart. In my heart. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my sins. I thank you that you died on the cross for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please come into my heart. Please come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Savior. And be my Lord. Be my Lord. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray you fill my brothers and sisters. Fill them to overflowing. May they flow in the gifts and the fruits of your Spirit. And as we gather around the, the fire pit tonight and have a prayer meeting and worship meeting, I pray that you would impart your Spirit's power to everyone who's willing and who is seeking you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord smile upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. God bless you, church. We'll see some of you tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hanson. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.